Proverbs chapter number 10. We're going to try, we're going to try to wrap up this chapter tonight. And as I think everybody knows by now, we've not tried to outline this chapter because it, it tends to bounce around from subject to subject and God designed it that way. And so, uh, we're going to take it that way. Sometimes a couple of the verses will uh, seem to connect, but then we uh, go from from that, you know, to something altogether different. And uh, uh, God knows that we need variety in our lives. So we begin with verse number 23. That's where we left off last week. Verse number 23, it is as sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding has the wisdom. That word sport uh, speaks of amusement, uh, or we, we might today call it a joke. It's like a joke to a fool to do mischief. In other words, uh, the fool is someone that makes mirth uh, uh, out of mischief, and his pastime seems to be to, uh, you know, to amuse and to do evil and uh, uh for him, life is nothing but fun and games. I, I, I was just thinking back to my days uh, years ago of working at a secular job and the different people that I've known and run across. And uh, I've known several people like that, that just everything's a joke to them. Uh, and uh, regardless of how serious the subject is, why... Uh, they've got something funny to say about it, and, uh, you know, they're the kind that can really dish it out, but they can't take it. You, you probably met some like that. But the the man of understanding, the wise man, doesn't think that way. He is too wise to seek pleasure in things that injure other people. And the things that we say sometimes can do great harm to others, and so... This man is smart enough to know that I need to be considerate of other people instead of making a big joke out of it. And uh, so we all need that kind of wisdom. Well, verse 24, he says, the fear of the wicked. Now, remember, we still have this contrast. In fact, the entire book of Proverbs is a book of contrast between the, those that are foolish and those that are wise and good and evil. And he says, the fear of the, fear of the wicked it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. Uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but in a lot of cases, just like just like there are those that make a joke out of everything and you know and whatever it is, there's also those that seem to be lighthearted and carefree. They don't have a worry in the world. Nothing bothers them. My best friend growing up, his nickname was Tubby, and uh, <laughs> for good reason. He uh, he he was uh, he, he was a chunk. It's the best way I know how to say it. Uh, he, he he was fat, and he knew it. But 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 he he was one of those that he's all the time joking about it. You, you know, seemingly you could not embarrass him. I remember his first day at school. Uh, in elementary school, I won't tell you why I remember it, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, but 
anyway, the long story short is I, I had him down in the ditch sitting on him out there because, you know, any kid the first day at school, you had to establish some kind of pecking order. And so, but we become best friends and he was all the time making light of it. And, uh, uh he, he was closer to me. I never had a brother, but as close as a brother could possibly be. And it took me several years to realize that that was all show. It really did hurt him and bother him. And, uh, you know, a lot of people pretend like it doesn't bother them. And a lot of times, you know, the wicked are like that. You might hear somebody say, oh, I don't care if I go to hell. You know, I'm going to have a lot of friends down there. They just slough everything off like that, you know, kind of like uh, Tanya... The Tucker uh, song, you know, if I die, I may not go to heaven. Just let me go to Texas because Texas is as close as I'll ever be, you know. And, uh, you know, it's a cute little song, but there's nothing funny about that. And one of these days she's going to she's going to realize there is there is a hell and uh, there is a heaven. Well, notice what he says here, the fear of the wicked. They might not show it. But but you you better believe that that many times they are deeply troubled because they know what they are, and the scripture confirms that in the book of Isaiah says there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. They they don't have peace. They pretend they do, but deep down in their heart they know what they are. They know they're not they're not living up to the standard of their own conscience. They understand that. Before I ever uh, attended church for the first time, before I had ever listened to a sermon, uh, before I'd ever heard a gospel song other than Amazing Grace on the jukebox, before any of that, I knew that I ought to be a better person than what I was. I understood that. And so here he's talking about the fear of the wicked. And notice it says, it shall come upon him. In other words, as old R.G. Lee used to preach, there's a payday someday, and there certainly is. But, here's the flip side of the coin, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. And, uh, my, what a contrast that is. I, Every time I think about that, I think of Psalms 37, and if you're not familiar with that psalm, you might want to turn there, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses, because for the Christian, I mean, this is just absolutely wonderful stuff when we think about it, where he says in verse number 3, "'Trust in the Lord and do good, and so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself.'" Now notice this, "'Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart.'" Now let me tell you, desires go beyond needs. God doesn't just supply what we need When our heart is right with God, He gives us the desires that we're able to handle. And then He says in verse number 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, and trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. So just as sure as judgment is coming upon those that are wicked, blessings are going to come upon those who are righteous. And that's the point that Solomon is trying to make here. The desire of the righteous shall be granted. Those 
those inward cravings and desires that we have as a child of God. And he says, God's going to give those things to you. I don't know of one single parent here that does not want to do good for their children. I mean, you love your children and you, you know, you want to give them the things that you know is going to, uh, to make them happy. And it's not always what they need. As I've often said, you know, they get by with a $12 pair of Spalding tennis shoes, but because you love them, they end up, you know, well, with something else, Nikes or whatever else that won't last any longer, but you spend a lot more money on them anyway. And it's all because you love them. You want to do something, uh, you know, to thrill their heart, to satisfy their desires. Listen, if we think like that with our children, just think about how much more God cares for his children. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. Now, verse 25, as the whirlwind passeth, so, so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. Well, he's just spoken about the fear of the wicked coming upon him. And now he likens the judgment of the wicked to a, uh, a whirlwind, you know, a, a tornado. And, and he says, notice that the, as the whirlwind passeth, the wicked be no more. In other words, everything that they're going to, uh, to have and depend upon is going to be destroyed because there's no anchor, there's no foundation. And when we think about a tornado, we're talking about something that moves rapidly in something that has great power. When I was working at the highway department and building Highway 65 from Springfield to Branson, during that time there was a, a, a bad tornado that come down through that area, and we went out there the, the, the morning after, and those gigantic oak trees that had been there for no telling how many years, huge oak trees that you never you never dreamed could be ripped, you know, out of the ground. And they were just laying everywhere. And you could look down through there and just see a path of destruction. And God says that's the way His judgment is going to be. And let me tell you, there's no religion in the world that's going to protect the unsaved person in the day of judgment. It's going to be like a whirlwind. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be furious. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be overwhelming. But... The righteous is an everlasting foundation. And so we're built upon Christ the solid rock and we are secure in Him. And we don't have to worry about what's going to happen. As Brother John talked a while ago about witnessing to this fellow and the fact that as a child of God, many times we, you know, we, we fail our Heavenly Father, but He doesn't disown us as a result of that. And I always think about what Paul says there in Romans chapter number 8 about nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That, now, that's security, knowing that regardless of what you do or what you fail to do, that nothing is ever going to stop God from loving you. And so that's a foundation that we can rest secure upon. I know Brother Ron's favorite song is Blessed Assurance. Amen. Well, that ought to be somebody's favorite. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Because we have assurance in the Lord Jesus Christ, whereas with the wicked, they're going to lose it all. Well, verse 26, as vinegar to the teeth, 
and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. Now, it, it, over in the book of Ezekiel, he talks about sire grapes. And he says, the sire grapes set the teeth on edge. You know, I guess he could have spoken about fingernails across the blackboard or something like that. But we all get the picture of what he's talking about here. Talking about something that is unpleasant to the taste. And then he speaks about smoke in the eyes and and how irritating it is producing tears and notice he says here that's the way it is with the sluggard to those that send him in other words here is someone that is on a mission someone that has been given a responsibility and they're a sluggard you know they're lazy and they're they just they don't get the job done And so, you know, naturally the person that commissioned him to go and do whatever uh, is disappointed. It's irritating. And, uh, you know, looking back over the years, I'll never forget uh, whenever I was working at a civil engineering firm going into the uh, the head boss. I was over all of the department out there with all of the draftsmen and what have you. And there was a, he had recently, for whatever reason, he had hired some girl. She was maybe 22 or 23 years old. And she had been to college and had all kinds of ability, but she had no work ethic whatsoever. And I'll never forget going in there. It's the only time I can ever remember firing someone. And I said, I'm about to tell her to go pack her bags. And I said, unless you've got some reason to keep her here, she's got to go. Well, look. You, you guys that, that run businesses and what have you, you depend upon people to get the job done. And it's more than a little bit irritating if you send them out there to do the job and they don't do it. Now, I think there's a good lesson here for you and I. We talk Sunday about what God's goal is, and God's goal is for, you know, the gospel to be preached to all nations, and God's plan is to use His church to proclaim that gospel. And so we have a mission also, and think about how disappointing and offensive, irritable, or whatever word you want to use to describe it, think about how God must feel, how we must affect Him when we fail to carry through on the mission that He's given us. And, and, you know, whenever we look at it that way and understand that, you know, God is watching and observing, you know, everything we do, and then for us to be slack in doing what God has commanded us to do, uh, a lot of times, you know, we don't think about uh, how our sin affects God. We, we think about how it affects us, you know. Well, I better not do this or that because, boy, I could end up in prison if I did that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can think of times past in my life. Uh, there are certain things I would have done if it was not for the fear of going to prison. I, I knew I would. If I did that, I'm going to end up in prison. And so I didn't do it. And so it was because I knew that my sin would affect me. And there are times that we, you know, we get concerned about how our sin affects other people. Well, you know, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that because it would hurt somebody that I love. So I'm going to refrain from that. But, you know, the Bible says that we are to grieve not the Spirit of God. And that word grieve is a love word. It has to do with us disappointing God, grieving the heart of God. And when we sin against God, 
And, and by the way, dereliction of duty is a sin. It's a sin of omission. And when we do that, it grieves the heart of God. Well, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days and over and over again throughout this study, uh, we we see that this matter of having the right attitude toward God is a matter of life and death. And the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. And so by precept and by example, as we look into the Bible, we see over and over again that God teaches us this this very thing. And, you, you, you know, you have to stop and ask yourself, I wonder if people really do believe this. Because, listen, it's beyond any shadow of a doubt that, that this is the way it is. If we live right, we'll live longer. If we live in rebellion against God, we're not going to be here all that long. And we need to keep that in mind. Our very life depends upon our attitude toward God, the fear of the Lord, that reverential fear toward God, giving Him the respect that He deserves, and obeying His commands prolongs days. It's better than any vitamin we can take, better than any exercise we can do, uh, you know, better than anything possible that man could do for us. And so we have this promise of longevity as a result of it, or living longer. Verse 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. Now, whenever we think about the hope of the righteous, that can include, you know, a lot of different things. You know, the hope of the righteous. Well, uh, when we think of that, we think about being like Christ, being with Christ, being in heaven. We think about being in a state of perfection. Those are all things that, you know, we hope for, things that we, that we long for. Paul himself said to depart and to be with Christ would be far better. So those are hopes that we have in our heart. And here the Lord's assuring us that for those that are righteous, it's all going to end in gladness. I love the way the psalmist put it. He said, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And that that's true for every child of God. On that like the old timers used to sing on that great getting up morning, and one of these days all of God's children are going to get up out of the grave. We're going to ascend up in the clouds of glory to be in the presence of the Lord. In that day, it'll be all gladness and no sadness. And I, I'm just so glad that we've got a hope like that that we can depend upon to know that it's going to end in gladness. But notice the expectation of the wicked, and that word expectation there has to do with the hope, the hope, expectations of the wicked. And, and by the way, you know, there are a lot of times that people act like, well, you know, they, they don't give any thought about the future. They don't have any concern for the future and what have you. But you might be surprised how many people have pinned all of their hopes upon religion. As Brother John was talking about this fellow being, I think he said, um, a Methodist, but being exposed to the teaching, you know, that salvation is by works rather than, you know, by grace. And, and, and while he was saying that, I was thinking about there in Revelation chapter 7. 
And we know when the Lord comes that according to what Paul said to the Thessalonians, that all of those that have heard the gospel and had a chance to be saved, uh, it'll be too late. It'll be, none of them, having re- heard and rejected the gospel, they will believe the lie of the Antichrist when the Lord comes and the tribulation begins. Because I know a lot of people teach, oh boy, you know, if the Lord does come, the tribulation starts, you know, I'll realize what Brother Stone said is true and I'll get saved. No, you won't. You will believe the lie of the Antichrist. But yet, yet in Revelation chapter 7 and Sunday, we read these verses where he talked about all of those. And remember I said there will be more people saved during the tribulation than any other time. And he talked about all of those out of every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue. People from all nations are going to come to the Lord during that day. Well, that includes America. And wait a minute, we're talking about America where, you know, we say, well, well, there's a church on every corner. Everybody has heard the gospel. You see, and that's where we're wrong. We just assume they've heard the gospel when they really haven't. You think about all of these different brands of churches out here, all of these different denominations, and there will be people that have attended those so-called churches all their life. They've been through hundreds, even thousands of services, and, and, you know, they've heard messages from the Bible, but they've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, 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 you know, it, it's horrible to think about those that, that have a hope, and that hope is in religion. Well, the expectation of the wicked is going to be cut off, and they're going to be sorely disappointed and for all of eternity. Now, verse 29, the way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Well, he just got through mentioning gladness, and notice now he mentions the matter of strength. And I love the way Nehemiah put it together in Nehemiah 8.10 where he said, And the joy of the Lord is your strength. So there we have those two things, the gladness and the strength, married together in the statement by Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that comes by us walking in the way that the Lord commands. The way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. Walking in the paths of righteousness. The way of the Lord is strength to those that are upright. And whenever we walk in His way, while well, we receive strength for every need. But the workers of iniquity, notice, They have no such resource as that. They have nothing to depend upon other than the arm of the flesh. And it always fails. And so verse number 30, the righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inherit the earth. Now, whenever you look at that contrast, it's very easy to make the connection and see exactly what he means here because he's talking about the righteous. Now, remember, the righteous are those that walk in the way of the Lord. We just talked about that. Because they walk in the way of the Lord, they receive gladness. Because they walk in the way of the Lord, they receive strength. 
But now think about it here. He says concerning these people, they shall never be removed. Now, wait a minute. The Bible tells us that the mountains are going to crumble and fall. The Bible tells us that eventually the stars are going to fall from heaven. But here he tells us, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In other words, as I said earlier, nothing can possibly separate us from the love of God. But for the sorrowful part of this verse, notice the wicked shall not inherit the earth. And and believe me, that fact is just as certain as the first one. Just as nothing can separate us from God, just as as sure as you and I are going to inherit the earth and rule and reign with Christ, you, you see why preachers have such a hard time moving on and not going down a rabbit trail and because you get on something like this and you think, man, I just want to park here for about 15 minutes and, and just think about that, that you and I are going to inherit the earth, join heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we die, we go to our inheritance, but when the wicked die, wow, they lose absolutely Everything They shall not inherit the earth. It might seem like that they are in possession of it. We look around and we see the way the wickedness of the nations are going and it seems like Satan has everything under his control. Well, believe me, the Lord's going to turn the table someday and uh, they're going to lose it all and we're going to gain it all. Verse 31. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom but the froward that is the crooked tongue shall be cut out well if you want to hear words of wisdom just listen to those that are just in other words uh, listen to someone who is godly they might not be well educated but if they're godly they can teach you something if they're walking with the lord and they love the lord then they deserve a listening ear. And you need to consider what they say. I, some of the wisest people I've ever known have been been farmers that, you know, for the life of them, they couldn't, uh, you know, they, they couldn't pronounce Nebuchadnezzar or whatever, you know. They, they were not educated, but, boy, they were so very wise. And the, the, the thing that makes us wise is, of course, our relationship with the Lord. But whereas they speak words of wisdom, the, the froward tongue shall be cut out. And that which is perverse and that which is evil is going like just as, you know, the trees are cut down or the tornado rips through there and tears them down in the day of judgment. Uh, the, the tree that bears no fruit is going to be cut down. Well, verse 32, we've reached the end of the chapter. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Wow. Boy, that that says so much. The lips of the righteous, they know what is acceptable. You know, we go all the way back to where we started, and, and, you know, about the things that people say and so forth. And a lot of people don't know what is acceptable and what's not. But the lips of the righteous, they know what is acceptable. 
And, and, and you know, there's a lot of times that we can tell the truth. As I often say, we can speak the truth and do as much damage with the truth as though we had spoken air. You know, just saying something because it's true does not mean that it's acceptable. And a lot of people need to learn the difference between the two. But the lips of the righteous person, a righteous man or woman, they're going to, you know, they've got enough wisdom to say what they know is acceptable, what is becoming of a Christian and what's not. But the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. You know, anyone can talk, but very few really know how to communicate. And, you know, whenever we're communicating with others, we need to know, number one, what to say. That's important. The content of our speech is important. We need to know what to say. We need to know how to say it. And we need to know when to say it. And all of that takes wisdom. And all of us have opportunities that God opens up, whether it's the lady that comes knocking on Nolan's door and asking for prayer, and all of a sudden he has an opportunity to speak to her, or whether it's John speaking about one of the men that work for him, whoever it is, we all have these opportunities. And we need the wisdom to say the right thing. We've got someone that's uh, not attending church right now, and uh, at least a part of the reason why is because someone had the audacity, and I, I, I'm really tempted to just come right out and say what this person said to this, this young person, but it was so out of place, so uncalled for, that I think if I had been standing there, I would have threatened to punch him in the nose. I don't know how some people can be so stupid as to say things that are going to hurt other members so bad that they don't even want to come back to church. It's horrible when people do that. And it's uncalled for. I mean, there's no reason for it whatsoever. And some folks need to wisen up and to realize that uh, that. that what's acceptable and what is not acceptable. And my Bible tells me that our speech is to always be seasoned with grace. And so many times, so many times we say the wrong thing and somebody ends up getting hurt. That silly little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is so that is so silly. I don't know of anything more foolish than that. I've been hurt a lot worse by... Uh, words than uh, than I ever have in a barroom brawl, and uh, words can hurt. They cut and uh, have a lasting impact. So I hope some of the things we've talked about here is, has been helpful. I, I, if it doesn't do anything else, I hope it whets your appetite to where, you know, boy, I can't wait till I get home and I want to I want to study this verse some more. And, and I hope that's what it's doing to generate an interest, you know, in the Word of God and especially in the book of Proverbs. And, well, two weeks from, from tonight, Lord willing, while we'll pick up in, in uh, chapter number 11 and... Uh, Take off again. Anyone have a comment or a word, Brother?